Feast of Tabernacles. Amen. I'm going to let you be seated. God bless you for being here. We always, I especially enjoy uh, just taking time on, a, on this Sunday every year to uh, acknowledge uh, this. And if you're new, that means never, that means know what we're doing right here with all this. It's okay. Okay. Um, and uh, that's okay. Uh, but we're going to fix that, right? Uh, Mary Lee, where are you at, sweet? There you are. Uh, stand up. She painted all of these many years ago. There she is. Amen. Uh, love you. She is uh, the first time that when I came here uh, over a decade ago, however, it's been a long time as pastor, uh, we observed the Feast of Tabernacles and uh, during that whole week. And on one of those nights, uh, and we won't rehearse that necessarily, but just it's such a wonderful thing. that, uh, And it's dear to her heart uh, for that reason and others that she was healed of uh, cancer uh, in that service. And, uh, and she is still uh, among us, sitting back there healed today. Um, and she was so sweet last weekend, she thought that it was uh, going to be last Sunday, and we were texting back until she was in the hospital, thought she might have had a blood clot or something, and, and she said, I'm missing, I'm going to be missing for the first time. And I said, no, you're not going to miss it, it's next Sunday. And uh, so the devil is a lie, she did get to uh, be here and uh, be in, uh, part of the, the service. Um, so, you know, I never teach this the same way every year, uh, and, uh, that's, you know, and that's wonderful, I guess. But I, I will turn to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, and uh, that whole chapter is the only chapter in the Bible where chronologically all seven of these feasts are listed in order, and, um, and this is where God uh, speaks about these. Uh, and it says in verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. A, a convocation is just a called assembly or a gathering uh, for a specific purpose. And the word feast, as most of you know, is translated here from Hebrew uh, to English for us. But it is the Hebrew word moed, and it means appointed times. Uh, I say this often, you know, when I'm an American uh, hears the word feast, first thing that normally pops in their mind is Thanksgiving or some big meal, uh, something, you know, to eat. But when you just see the feast and these feasts, it's not talked, although they do eat in many of these feasts, because in most of these, uh, all of these feasts, it's somewhat of a party, really, and, um, or celebration. And so that's what the word means. So when you see feast, I want you to think of an appointed time because that's what the word is. And then in verse 3, six days shall uh, work be done, but the seventh uh, day is a Sabbath or a solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. And then he, in verse 4, he calls them, these are the feast of the Lord. Uh, here he doesn't say they're feast of Israel, feast, feast of the Jews. He said they're feast of the Lord. Holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. So by me actually proclaiming this during this specific time, I always felt like I was kind of doing what God said to do. And I'm actually reminding us and showing us. Uh, and what I want you to get out of this is not to be uh, mesmerized by biblical knowledge. I want you to see that all seven of these feasts point to Jesus. And I want, that's what I want you to see out of them, because if we don't do that, we've missed the boat. So all of these are, are, are Jesus is in and typified uh, in, these, in these appointed uh, feasts and times. Now, what, what happens is, is that, that uh, as far as a calendar, if you will, uh, God's calendar, th this is it. God's not working off of anything else. Now, you and I, in America, we use a calendar that is a, called the Gregorian calendar. It came out in the, in the 16th century with King Gregory. And, uh, and so it's full of a lot of uh, pagan uh, symbols. Uh, March is the god of war, and August is named after uh, Augustus. And 
June is uh, in July are named after Caesar. And, and we can just go on and on like that. Uh, one thing about the enemy that Daniel calls him in chapter 7, he said that he would, he, he, Daniel prophetically warned us, the church, that in the last days, that, that, and he was talking about during the biblical times, that, that Satan would desire to change seasons and times. Now, he's not talking about changing the day from a 24-hour day to a 26-hour day, but he's talking about these appointed times. The Bible refers to men of Issachar who had an understanding of the times and knew what Israel should do, and, and that's what they're talking about here. And so if you, if you don't have this uh, background, you don't understand God's divine prophetic calendar. Now, God foreknew all of this, and in these feasts, uh, the, the, what would happen to the Messiah uh, was foreshadowed, and, 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 and God uh, anticipated it. And so this is the calendar, if you will, that God uh, himself is working off of. God's not working off our calendar, right? Now, that don't make your calendar evil because you, you're going to have to use it because that's what everybody's using around here, right? It's going to get real confusing. And so what Satan cannot stop, he always tries to counterfeit. Uh, he's a master counterfeiter. He's not a creator. He is a counterfeiter. Uh, and he only counterfeits what is real. Uh, you and I have never seen a counterfeit $3 bill. Why is that? Because there's no real $3 bill. You only counterfeit the, the reality. <clears throat> and so God himself gave these, these appointed times and these feasts. Now, Pastor Johanna mentioned about, you know, believing for healing. And I have seen in all of my many years of doing this, um, I've seen tremendous miracles, and uh, there's several people in this room could witness that. Uh, when I, in the church I started in, in, at Cornerstone, and we just saw tremendous miracles. Now, why would that happen? Well, one thing we kind of focused on that we we come expecting, just like your kids uh, on their birthday, don't they expect something uh, special? But you love them all the time, and don't you give them gifts all year long? Uh, and so God's a good daddy, and and He knows how to give good gifts unto His children. And that's what he said, it's God's pleasure to give the kingdom of God to his kids. And so uh, I do believe it is a special time where we gather together like this to, and we're taking time this Sunday morning to acknowledge uh, that this is God's calendar. Now, one thing, it doesn't matter where you go to church. Now, what's sad to me as a pastor, and I stumbled upon it probably 25, 30 years ago, um, because nobody ever sat down and taught me about this, appointed me to this. But I would feel a, a, a drawing in my heart to have a call an assembly or a revival, some people would call it, in the fall of the year. And, and then I just stumbled upon, you know what I'm doing? I'm actually keeping the feast, and I didn't even know it. Uh, you hear a lot of churches, I mean, a lot of churches in, this, in our world, they have a spring and fall revival. They don't realize that they're really working these two feasts. Now, these seven feasts really make up of three major feasts, uh, Passover, uh, weeks, and tabernacles. And if they were Jewish, by God's command, and I won't go through all these verses because it's just too big a thing to jump on, but the, if you were a male in Israel, you were required, mandated to come to these feasts. And, uh, and we see that throughout the Bible. And in fact, that's why Joseph and Mary, when Jesus was born, uh, he was not born in December. And it's okay to still keep celebrating in December, just as long as you celebrate him, that's the big issue. And, uh, but, but he wasn't born, in, you know, during uh, that time. But, uh, and, and Caesar, you know, calling for tax tribute from the Jews that the Romans had under submission, uh, he wasn't no dummy. You don't get to be Caesar by being stupid. And so, obviously, he would tax the people when they would, all the Jews would come, mandated to come to, to Jerusalem, to Israel, uh, even pilgrims from far countries. And that's why Joseph and Mary were there, and they were at one of these feasts. And, uh, and so, but, so all of this typifies uh, uh, Jesus. And that's why Satan would try to change that and get the people of the world, which he's been successful with the American church, for sure. Most American Christians have no idea what we're talking about and don't even see a purpose in it and, and have no regard for it. And that doesn't make them evil, it just makes them ignorant. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So it, it, it just helps us. And we're not trying to, you know, pick up, you know, figure out stuff. But this is a fact. 
Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover. And that is a fact. So at the time that the Passover lamb was being prepared, Jesus Christ was being nailed to the cross. Jesus was placed in the tomb on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, and, you know, Paul even said of Jesus, Jesus, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed, was sacrificed. Um, and the translators added the two words for us. But the point is, Jesus Christ was sacrificed. Uh, he was not sacrificed to satisfy some vengeful dad called God or some bloodthirsty God that needed blood in order to forgive. God's never needed anything but his heart to forgive people. And that's why long before Jesus ever went to the cross, he was forgiving people, which really ticked off the Pharisees and, and all the religious people because they said, who can forgive and, and so forth. So they was really into substitu substitutionary penal atonement. But what happened is Jesus sacrificed his life for us. In other words, he, I think of it more as him jumping in front of the bullet out of love to spare us. And that's what he did. So we came up with the most cruelest device known on planet Earth to torture men, not just to kill them, but to torture them before they died, and uh, called the cross. And, uh, and, and, and all through the book of Acts and through the New Testament epistles, those apostles, beginning with Peter, looked at when they preached, and people didn't like him sermon. Stephen preached it too, and it got him killed. Uh, but he said, you murdered uh, the gift of life. You murdered him. He, and Peter even said, he said, you murdered him. Uh, so Jesus was murdered by us, by man. And what did he do in, in response to that murder? Did he retaliate? Did he come back with vengeance? No, he forgave. And uh, he forgave those who didn't even want to be forgiven. And that's why Paul called him the Passover, uh, uh, our Passover lamb. And uh, so God anticipated that. Now, the first, there's only been one Passover in the Bible, and that happened when they were in Egypt. And uh, when the children of Israel were being delivered out of the bondage of Egypt. And there's a lot of metaphors and typology in that. And just like sin had us in bondage, of course, uh, God came to deliver us and to be our Moses and to set us free. Okay? But Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. And he, uh, he was sacrificed in, he sacrificed his life in congruence and, and exactly during the Passover. Now, nobody thinks that's a coincidence. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. In the Bible, almost every place, there's a couple of exceptions, but leaven symbolizes, is a metaphor for sin. Well, Jesus had no sin. Him who knew no sin became sin for us. So Jesus was placed in the tomb on unleavened bread. And then three days later, we have the next feast, which is, which is uh, the Feast of first fruits. And the Bible, New Testament says, it says Jesus has become the first fruits of many brethren. So all these feasts are, are, are specific of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to see. And, and, and so Jesus was crucified on Passover, put in the tomb during uh, unleavened bread, and he came out, was resurrected on first fruits. He's the first, and, and we too shall experience that resurrection even in this body. We'll get a glorified body. It won't get cancer, hallelujah. And it won't hurt in the morning when you get up. Come on, somebody. Uh, all that stuff, I mean, anybody besides me, you know. I've, I've, I've kind of joked, but I've noticed as I get older at night, you have to set certain things on your nightstand in case you need them during the night. Like, you know, Pepsi AC, and you got to have, am I the only person on earth that does that? You got to have a glass of water, you got to have some Pepsi because you don't know when that tack is coming on you, right? Uh, didn't used to be like that when I was in my 30s, but now it's a little different deal, so I make preparation. <laughs> And so Jesus came out. These are referred to, these first three, as the spring feast. And then the Bible commanded that after the feast of first fruit, that they were to count 50 days. Well, they were to count 49 days. Um, and, and after 49 days, it says, the Bible says, the day following shall be a Sabbath, a feast unto the Lord, and it will be called the Feast of Weeks. And that's the reason it's called Weeks, is because you've got those those seven weeks there. And uh, so on that, on that 50th day, that was a celebration. Now this always occurs in the summer, around June. Now Passover, with our Gregorian calendar, we're working off of 360 days. Uh, the Jewish calendar is three, uh, 365. Theirs is 360. So we're going to be off every year. 
Uh, we deal with the solar. We, our calendar is based on the sun. Uh, the Jewish calendar is based on the moon, the lunar stages. And uh, um, so these are the spring feasts. And that's why sometimes they'll hit March. Sometimes it'll be April on our calendar. And then we come to uh, the seven weeks of seven. And then the 50th day is the Feast of Passover. Now, some people call it Pentecost. And Pentecost is a word that means 50. So when you say I'm Pentecostal, you're saying I'm 50. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being Pentecostal. Uh, I'm Baptist, I'm Methodist, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Lutheran, I'm all of it. Okay, so I'm Heinz 57, right? Uh, so this is, this is Jesus. Well, what happened, on, what happened on the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost? The Bible calls it the Feast of Weeks. Now, uh, the reason you see, I believe Mary Lee has, if I remember, the, you have the Ten Commandment tablets up there, right? And the reason you have that because at that particular uh, uh, feast there, then uh, it's when the Moses went on the mountain, and he's up there for those forty uh, plus days. Well, he comes down on this feast time, um, and when he comes down, he sees Israel has made them a uh, golden calf. So you got, you got Moses went on the mountain, Joshua went halfway up and camped out, and he left Aaron in charge. Bad decision. Uh, he left a weak preacher in charge. So Aaron's in charge. The people, you know, they've been, they've been slaves, so you've got to give them a little break. As a people group, they've been a slaves. They've been, they were born in slavery. All those people were born slaves, born in slavery. 430 years, the Hebrews were in Egyptian bondage. So you've got to have mercy on them, okay? And they don't know nothing. And they've been surrounded by pagan stuff, and they've been abused, and it's just been a horrible life that we probably can't even imagine. Uh, but, so Moses comes down, and what he finds is that the people had gathered up and said, now, we don't know where Moses is. Because, see, they didn't know God's time. They didn't know about his feast. And, and, and we, don't, you know, we don't know what's happened to him. In other words, they were through with him. And they said, make us a... Uh, a god that you know that, that you know make, uh, that we can work a calf, and so that was a, a calves were big deals in Egypt, and so they uh, Aaron, he said Aaron told them all. He said y'all give me your gold, you know he did. He was like a preacher. He did take up an offering, so he got he got all their golds and, and stuff, and and it says in the Bible. This is just all funny to me almost. In, in the Bible it says he he formed it with his own hands. That's what it says. Everybody knows that's in there. That he formed it with his own hands and he made a golden calf. And, and the children of Israel pointed and said, this is what, this has brought us out of Egypt. Now, when most of us in the American church, we read that, we think that they were being pagans. And like they were saying that, that that's, no, they, they wouldn't come making up a God. They, they were simply saying that this is, uh, we need to change mics or something? Okay. Give Reuben a hand. He is a wonderful. That's the highest pressure position in the church, if you need to know. Because when something goes wrong with sound, everybody turns and looks at the sound guy like, what's your problem? <laughs> Thank you, Reuben. And uh, so they pointed to this calf and they said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Now, listen to me. I offer this to you. They wasn't saying that's some strange demonic God. They were saying that was Yahweh. So in their mind, they said, this is what Yahweh looks like. He's a golden calf. This is, what, this is Yahweh. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And they're pointing at a golden calf. And uh, God's not a golden calf, right? And we look at them like they're stupid. And yet today, in America, we point at a lot of religious things that we have built with our own hands, and we say, this is Yahweh. This is God. We say, this is God. And we have a wrong image of God today, just like they had a wrong image of God back then. And they were not trying to be pagans. They didn't believe that God, my God, they lived during 10 miraculous, miraculous signs to deliver them out. 
they saw the Nile turn to blood. They saw the frogs and the locusts, and, and they, they saw all that stuff. And um, they knew that God was God. I mean, Moses got there before Pharaoh, and, and, and as a sign, God gave him a, a sign that he could use to demonstrate, you know, that he's not making this stuff up. And Aaron was holding the rod, and he threw the rod to the ground, and it became a serpent. And so, you know, uh, Pharaoh wasn't impressed. There's a big crowd watching all this go down. And then so Pharaoh's uh, names are names in the Bible. And so he used uh, his magicians and soothsayers. They throw their rod down, and it became two serpents. And he's like, look at there. God, your God and, and our God of Egypt is the same. It, the equal power. It makes no difference. But God's not caught off by none of this. So what did, what did uh, Aaron's rod that was now a serpent do? He ate them two snakes right in front of him. <laughs> he literally, he swallowed, it says, he swallowed them up. And it's like, okay, <clears throat> what else you got? You know what I'm saying? There's, there's no contest here. And so those people had seen, and, and they just, all I'm trying to get you to see is today, many of us have had, and maybe still have, a wrong image of God. Yeah, we, we probably not pointing to a golden calf, but we're pointing to something and we, we probably hadn't got it right. If you're pointing to a God that's cruel, vindictive, punitive, harsh, absent, uncaring, that's not God. That's not God. The God I was introduced to, they might as well introduce me to a golden calf because I have found that he was not that. People pointed at it, and they screamed to me, that's him. And uh, I thought it was him. And I thought he was anything bad happened in my life, he was paying me back, or I was having to pay for my own sins, and... A lot, of, a lot of spirit of stupid was on me in my younger days, and that's it, not him. And so, uh, so that, that happened on the Feast of, of Weeks. Now, what I want you to see is that God had promised prophetically through the prophet Joel that in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He said, your sons and your daughters, come on, daughters, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions. And God's going to pour out his spirit upon all men, not just saved men, not just church men, not just Jewish men. He said, all men. I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That means men ain't even saved. I want to pour my spirit out on them. Flesh. And so God did that. And so what happened is Jesus Christ was crucified, placed in the tomb, come out on first fruits. And then for 40 days, Jesus is walking around being seen of everybody. Y'all remember that? And he makes several appearances to many people. His disciples and to just many people at one place. He was saw by 500 people at one time. And uh, he ate fish with them. And he hung out with them for 40 days in his resurrected body. He, he uh, hung out with his people. And then he went to the, uh, uh, to the mountain. And, uh, and there he gave his final uh, benediction, if you will. And angels that accompanied that uh, uh, tremendous moment. And Jesus was uh, lifted up. He ascended. And before all of them, they saw it. And, and then, of course, the disciples are just standing there. And who wouldn't do that? After you saw Jesus just literally rise and go into the clouds, you know, and, and the angel has to come and kind of tap them and said, you know, men of Israel, why do you stand here gazing? But this same Jesus you have seen leave shall also come again in like manner if you've seen him depart. And, uh, and Jesus had gave them command to go into Jerusalem and tarry there, which means wait, until you be endued with power from on high. And then this is in Acts chapter 1. So, so then they leave after 40 days. Jesus is, is caught up. He's ascended. And now they, they obey his word, and they go to Jerusalem, and they find an upper room, and they go hang out in there. And there's a lot of people in there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is in there. Uh, they probably had to be a little bit of crying and forgiving and making up in there because everybody had abandoned her son while he was dying on the cross, and, and uh, she's still a mama. So we got Peter in there that, you know, that not even knew the man. And they all piled in this same room, 120 of them. And uh, many believe they were much, many more in there. But uh, so they're hanging out there and they're waiting. Now, I grew up in Pentecostal church and we was told that they were in there them 10 days begging, fasting, and praying, trying to get God to, you know, give them the Holy Spirit. And after they'd prayed enough and fasted enough and petitioned enough and cried enough and begged enough, then finally God answered the prayer. And there's a word for that in Greek, but I won't use it. It's just not true. God's not working off our crying, begging, pleading, none of that. He's working off his calendar. 
And I've always said it aggravates religious people, and I seem to have a gift for doing that. I don't mean to do that, but I said they could have been out there playing Monopoly, and the Holy Spirit would have still come upon all of them. They could have been playing blackjack. They could have done whatever they wanted to do. It wasn't their fasting and praying God was responding to. It was his feast. In Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord assembled in this upper room. And like a sound of a mighty mush, a rushing wind, the Holy Spirit filled all the place where they were assembled. And cloven, which means divided tongues of fire, appeared upon each of them. And they began to praise and magnify God. They, they were all filled, not some filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues and other languages. And then, it, and then in Acts 2, it names all these different countries in Mesopotamia and all these different spots all around the world where people were come there. And the reason those people are there is this is one of the mandated feasts of people from all over, Jews from, other, from Mesopotamia, Jews from Asia, Jews from all over the world would come and make their pilgrimage to this feast. And they all don't speak the same language. And even if you speak the same language, you have different dialects of that language. And, uh, and so... You just do, and so they couldn't understand. And so God allowed this precious gift to come forth, and now it says, Why, listen, even though these people from all over the world, yet we hear them speaking and praising and glorifying God in our own tongue, in our own language. And it was such a miracle sign to those people that this is not some happenstance thing. This is God. And what did Jesus do uh, during this time? He did what he said he would do. He poured out his spirit upon all people. And upon all flesh, it says. And, 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 and they were all filled. And, and those 120 people, you know, couldn't contain themselves. I can only imagine, uh, you know, like it says, with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. You know, God didn't sneak in the back door. It, he made a loud appearance. And, and, and this, this, this came on, on this feast day. And they all poured out of that upper room and down into the streets and and, and, and then people heard them speaking in tongues, and they didn't understand what this guy's saying, and all this stuff's going on. And, and, you know, and then one guy speaks up in the Scriptures and says, well, these people are drunk. They're drunk with wine. And Peter couldn't stand it anymore because uh, he was always prone to respond to anything anyway. So he says, I got this, guys. So he starts preaching. The guy that, you know, uh, 50 days prior to denied he even knew Jesus, now he gets the privilege of preaching the the, the, the sermon. And some people will say, and the preachers I've heard them say, the church was birthed on this day, but it really wasn't. Because the Apostle Paul and others speak of the church in the wilderness. And they're talking about Moses and all that. And so God said there was a church in the wilderness. And I've always had a church. And I want to tell you, God will always have a church. And the church is not a building, it's not a denomination, it's not a philosophy, it's us. Those that have been called out. We, we're the gathered together, and we're the church. And we don't go to church. We is the church. Come on, I know it's bad. We're, we are the church. And so, see, that's why everywhere you go, uh, you, you are the church and you carry the church. And um, even this past week, I run into people. They was an uh, electrician working at my house. And, and some other guys there knew, and they said something about me being a preacher. And he was laying up under the cabinet, and he slid out. He said, and he'd been in my house for weeks. And he said, you a preacher? And he was just like, he was just shocked by it, wasn't he? But he said, you a preacher? I said, yeah. I said, I said I'm glad it don't show. I said, you don't understand that unless you lived in my shoes. But see, then he thought that he had kind of offended me that, in other words, I was saying I'm glad it don't show, like, in other words, that he didn't discern it or see it, so I'm offended by that. No, I said, I'm glad that you didn't think I was a preacher because as soon as you find out I'm a preacher, our relationship dynamic changes. And then you want to go religion on me. And I said, so I'm glad it didn't show and it wasn't apparent to you that I was a preacher, but just a person. And, I'm, and I get to preach, but I'm a Christ follower. I just want to be accused of being a, a follower of Jesus. And um, so during this feast, God poured out that spirit. And, and along with that pouring out, and, and that's where Jesus had prophesied. He, he told his disciples, he, he was trying to tell him, you know, what's going to happen to him, and he's going he's to be gone, you know, as far as, him, you know, he would eventually leave, but he said, I will not leave you as orphans, but when I go away, he said, now, he said, listen, guys, it's actually to your advantage that I go away, but if I don't go away, Holy Spirit will not come, 
Thank you, Lord, for the horn. And so the Holy Spirit was promised. And not only that he would be with us, but he would be in us. And, the, and you have the Holy Spirit. You don't have a little Holy Spirit. You don't have a this Holy Spirit. Uh, you, you have the Holy Spirit. And, and the Bible says that. And in fact, it says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. But you are his and you have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to pray for the mind of Christ like I used to spend decades fasting and praying. Oh, God, give me the mind of Christ. And when I, I just couldn't read the Bible. I just couldn't read well, I guess, because Paul said you have the mind of Christ. You have it. You might not use it, but you have it. You don't have to pray for it. You didn't, you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it, but it was gifted to you. When did we get the mind of Christ? When, when the Holy Spirit indwells you, you have the mind of Christ. So you can just pray like this. Lord, I don't want to be double-minded. I don't want to use my old computer. I want to use the new computer. I want to rely upon your mind, Lord, and just help me to discern what you would have me to do in this moment, this situation, this decision. That's, what, that's all it's about. But you have the Holy Spirit, and that should make you so happy. And that happened on this, this feast day. So when the Pentecost fully came, the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind, filled that whole place. And now they're out there, and Peter's preaching to them. Now, he gets, he gets rough with them. If you read his sermon in Acts 2, he tells them, he, he's one right there. He says, you murdered him. <laughs> he told them Jewish people, he said, you murdered, you, you murdered him. You murdered him, but he forgave you. And so, you know, Peter, he didn't pull no punches, man. He, he did that. And when he got through preaching, it said 3,000 people uh, were saved that day. 3,000. And that's in stark contrast to on that day back when the first one happened out at Mount Sinai when Moses come down. Now, you might not like gifts or whatever. I just, all I can tell you is God's not a killer. And God never, and nowhere in the Bible does it say God told Moses to kill a bunch of people that day. But Moses, you know, he did have a temper. He jumped and killed an Egyptian in Egypt and fled for his life as a fugitive for 40 years. He, he did get mad one time and just hollered at all, the, all his church and called them a bunch of rebels. And God didn't like that. And God said, come here. And he said, because you failed to sanctify me and keep me holy before the people, I'm not going to allow you with this anger problem you got to lead them into the promised land. I'm going to have to have Yeshua, Joshua do it. Uh, God's not an angry God. Moses got angry that day and told the uh, Levites, just start killing your brothers because they made this calf and they don't know what they're doing. God wasn't for that. And it says 3,000 died that day. That's because God wasn't, God wasn't for that. But when God was in, in you know, for this, God said, I'm going to tell you, what, that, that's y'all. That's what y'all did. But when I'm here, I've come life. I'm about life, not about killing. And 3,000 people awakened to the reality of Jesus on that day. And so where we are now on God's time is somewhere between right there. This is the, the age that you and I are living. We find ourselves living in that period. It's been over 2,000 years. Now what we're waiting on now is this next feast, Feast of Trumpets. Now, all these feasts, now this, the Feast of Tabernacles, it changes every year, but it actually began at sundown Friday night. I don't know if you had the opportunity to go outside any last few days, but it's been a moon. In fact, even the news have been reporting, and they call it the last harvest moon for this year on our Gregorian calendar. But the, the moon has been so bright, so beautiful, so big, and it culminated on Friday night at sundown, in which all over the world people picked up that shofar like Cleveland did today. And uh, I don't know where, is Cleveland in here or whatever? But he did an awesome job. Bless him, Cleveland. That's, I've, uh, <clears throat> I've tried to blow those things, and it's horrendous. I, it's horrible. It's so hard to do that ram's horn. But that's a totally biblical thing. And all over the world at Friday night at sundown, uh, Jews, uh, Gentiles, and, and don't even know what they are, they, they blew that trumpet all over uh, the world, and especially in Jerusalem and Israel. And it was the sound and the calling of that assembly and saying, uh, you know, tabernacles has begun. So we're, we're between this. So the, but the only feast that does not occur on a full moon is this uh, feast of uh, trumpets. And so um, it, it, it's the slither. When they first, so the, the priest would see that first little slither now, you can imagine that sometimes it might be cloudy out at night. 
and they couldn't see it. And so this feast allowed a 48-hour window. The Bible declares all this. It, they had a 48-hour window in order to be able to view. See, it wasn't like they could, in that they could get on Facebook or text everybody and say, oh, the feast has started, right? So the only way they knew these feasts was they had to be officially declared by the priest and sanctioned by the Sanhedrin, and then they would blow the trumpets. Now, they would blow those trumpets all over. It wasn't just one dude on the trumpet. And, all of, and the people would hear, and they would know that's the feast has started. And they would stop what they're doing, and, he, and they, would, you know, uh, they would come. Now, if it was already appointed, they knew the time, of course, they would, the season, they would already be there, but they didn't know exactly when it was going to start the celebration until they heard that trumpet. And so it was allowed for it. This is why the Bible, and we get this confused, and people, you know, sometimes they misunderstand what I'm trying to say. Um, but when, 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 it's, when the Bible speaks that no man knoweth the day or the hour, this is what it's talking about. They, they didn't know when the feast would be because it occurs at a dark time. Now, I want to tell you this, regardless of what happens, and I ain't trying to date, set, or nothing, okay? Anybody that ever says Jesus is returning on this day has never been correct, even if they did buy billboards in Florida. Y'all remember them? Lord's going to return on, you know, October to something. Sorry, dude. And so you know, there is scripture that no man knoweth the day or the hour, you know, but what he's talking about, the Bible is speaking in congruence with God's calendars and the feast, and so it's referring to trumpets. Now, the Bible's real clear in the epistles, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, that when the Lord comes again, he's coming at the sound of the archangel at the trump of God, when the trump of God shall blow. And so it is my biblical-based belief that that God, God has, I mean, I don't care who, what kind of church you are, if you call yourself Christian, everybody agrees with these first four feasts, that everything happened in congruence with these feasts. No happenstance. Oh, and so when the Lord returns, I've always kind of jokingly said, he's not going to come on the 4th of July. Well, that, he don't have a feast day on that day. And so it is my belief, why would God, you know, anticipate and do everything of Jesus' coming? of the advent of Jesus, of Jesus' arrival, and I could show you even about his birth and all that stuff, but, but of Jesus' arrival and everything, why would, would God move in, in congruence with these feasts and then ignore these last three as if they're not important? Does that make sense to you? Do you think he would, you know, he was crucified on Passover, put in tomb on unleavened, he resurrects on first fruit, the, the Jesus stays 40 days, tells them to go in there and wait until the day of Pentecost, which they knew was 10 days. They go in that upper room. They all hang out with each other. They're in one mind. They're in one accord. And then God, with the mighty sound of a mighty rushing wind, he fills all that house on that feast day, exactly when he's promised and Joel prophesied. And when Peter got out there preaching, Peter said, these men are not drunk with wine, wherein it's only 9 o'clock in the morning and the, and the liquor store ain't open yet. And he said, uh, so they can't be drunk. <clears throat> And so they're not drunk with wine, as you think, but they are drunk. It's called being drunk on the Holy Spirit. And he said, I know they're acting crazy. And they had to be acting in some kind of physical way. That I mean, nobody just walks up to a person standing here like this and say, you're drunk. But now if you're staggering or falling or laughing or laying around, then they could say, yeah, that dude's drunk. But you could just be happy. <laughs> you, you know, so whatever they were doing, there was some physical demonstration going on of their bodies that they, they accused him of being drunk. But Peter said they are not drunk. He said this is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith God, I shall pour. And so he says this is that. This is that. And so he said this is what's happening. He was like, go back and read Joel. But if you read Joel, Joel didn't give all the details. Joel don't mention nothing about no tongues. He don't mention nothing about nobody acting drunk. He, he leaves out a whole lot. Apparently, God's got flexibility outside what he wrote. But, but Peter said, this, this is that. Why would God move in congruence with these and ignore the last three? So on one of these years, on God's calendar, on the Feast of Trumpets, it is my personal belief, based on the Bible, that on that trumpet on one of these years, it's going to blow, and we're going to be gone. Here's my disclaimer, and I say every year. If it was to happen on the 4th of July while I'm holding watermelon in one hand and firecrackers in the other, and I get snatched out of my sandals and my shorts, and I'm on my way to glory, and I look over and I see you flying through the sky with me, 
I'm going to say, my bad. I thought I was right. But I still win because I'm going home to Papa. So it don't make no difference to me. But it is my belief. That's why, you know, somebody says, you know, he, and see, I was raised on any minute rapture. He's going to come any minute before you can get out the door. And I'm serious. You don't know how, more us in Pentecostal, man, we, well, we bore down on that hard. Man, you, Jesus is coming. You better be ready. And, man, I remember, I remember, I got saved, you know, come wake up to Jesus at 12, and I'm, I remember praying. I so believed in what they was preaching. Man, Jesus is going to come, and I want you to come right now. I love you and all, but I want to get my driver's license first. That's how kids pray. That's what I pray. I said, Lord, please don't come because I want to at least get my license and be able to drive. And I don't think you got no cars in heaven, so I want to drive. And so I would say, even so, don't come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because <laughs> I got things I want to do first. But then you can come later, but not now. And so then I remember sitting in a particular church in the early 80s, June and I got married in 1980, and the guy got up there with charts and a stick and pointing and maps, and he, he proved to us, he said, Jesus was coming in, in 1984 or something. And I was like, man, he fit to be here. I ain't got my kids all, you know, I won't have more kids. But that guy proved it. And he, he seen no way he's talking about, and he was pointing with that stick. And he talking about Israel and, and Russia invading and, Coming from the north and Antichrist and Mark of the Beast. And now they can scan your beans at the grocery store. And they said, that's the Mark of the Beast right there. And when they had come out with them scanners, uh, we had people at our church standing at the back door on that Sunday morning handing out tracts, handing out papers, talking about, you know, the end is near. And now they, that's just how they're going to do it. We finally figured it out. They're going to put a thing on you and they're going to scan your arm like they do the canned beans. Boy, we got to church that day, man. We was all terrified, man. Jesus is finna come. Antichrist is finna come in any minute. We spent more time looking for the Antichrist than we did the Christ. Man, it's wonder, it's wonder I ain't in deep counseling every week for all what I was raised in. I had some guys working at my house, and I won't name the church. I wouldn't, and don't ask me. I wouldn't dare say it. But, but, but they, they said, because they, anyway, the preacher discussion led that, and they said, well, I was, I was born and raised in a particular church in this town, and I know the church. Never been there. And uh, another guy said, yeah. He said, I'm still in counseling from that. And then the other guy said, you talk about a cult. And it has a very traditional evangelical name. But it is so legalistic, and I had heard far and wide how legalistic and that it was. It maybe is. You can, you can get a lot of money and get a lot of people if you just scare them. Fear accomplishes a lot, and the world uses it. God never does. He doesn't use fear, threats. Love does not manipulate. Love does not use. No woman says, I want a man that will use me. Right? No person says, I want to be used by you, this another person. Yet we tell God, God, use me. And I know what you mean. But can I just say to you, we probably could form a better way of saying it. I want the Lord to, for my life and what I do, to bring glory to his name and make him known. But one time many years ago, God said, I will never use you, son. Now, if you've been a little person, you've been a little lady like I've met before that was abused and made her life in the street and was used by men, when she hears that God will use you, that does not resonate with her heart and does not endear her heart to Father. Love does not use. Love does not abuse. Love loves. <laughs> That's all he can do. So I just say, Lord, let my life and what you've called me to do bring glory to your name. Let me be that witness for you. Amen? Is that okay? So when that trumpet goes, we're going to be gone. Day of Atonement. If I remember right, Sister Mary Lee got me a little... And I didn't tell her what to do on none of this. You are brilliant. You know that? And so she's got the scapegoat painted on there, right? See the little ribbon around his horn? Now what happened, and God anticipated all this, but what happened and what they would do on that day is they would take uh, uh, two goats, identical, 
and they would take and put a red ribbon around one uh, goat, and uh, and it was to it was to be sacrificed, and they would take the other goat and lead it out into the wilderness. And before they did that, they would lay their hands symbolically on the goat, the priest would, and, and symbolically of all of Israel, which they considered the world. And they would lay their hands upon that goat, and they would lead it out into the wilderness and you know, by, with a rope and then turn it loose. What started happening in Israel, according to history, is, you know, and that was supposed to be symbolic of the sins being gone forever and uh, for the nation. And what would happen is next week, that goat come wandering back into Israel. And, man, the Jews would freak out. Oh, God, our sins have come back. And God didn't forgive. And it really didn't work. And, and really, this is, I'm not making this stuff up. This, this is what happened. So then they came up with a solution to that. They said, we're not, gonna ever, we're not doing that anymore because these goats are too smart and they know their way back home. So we're going to take them out to the brow of a high cliff and we're going to throw them off. We're going to throw them down the cliff, and then they'll fall down there and break all up and be killed and die, and I bet you he won't come back then. So that's how they started handling it. Well, a lot of people don't realize that when Jesus got through getting baptized in the River Jordan by his first cousin, John, then he went into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. And there he was tempted and tested in all points, but without sin. He comes back into Jerusalem, and he goes to the temple, to the synagogue. He is a frequent visitor there and has been raised in the synagogue and temples. And he's known by all. He's a blue-collar worker. He's a carpenter. He's the son of a carpenter, but now he's the carpenter because his dad's died. And he's respected highly, though. Uh, they don't hate him yet. They admire him. He's taking good care of his mom and his half-brothers and sisters. And when he walks in, the rabbi sees him. And in any Jewish church, and even the one in Valdosta, they have certain scriptures from the Old Covenant that they read every, you know, time they gather, every week. And they go through them. Nothing wrong with that. And so they, uh, give Je they ask Jesus, would he do the reading in the service that day? And he uh, says yes. And then he takes the scroll. And it says that he found the place. He, 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 broke, he breaks protocol. And he found the place where it was written of him. And he goes to that passage in Isaiah, and, he, and he, read, he read this out loud. For the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he just goes through those scriptures and the healing of the sick, and he, and he, he declares those with such a powerful prophetic voice and he reads all of that and he stopped short where Isaiah talked about judgment and all that stuff he, he didn't read that part and uh, he handed the scroll back to the church leader and then before he sat down he said know this this scripture that I read today is fulfilled now in your presence now, at first, it says that they were marveled at him, and they were amazed. And you can't tell me that they weren't some goosebumps when he was reading that part. And he sat down, and, but then when he made that statement, because they knew what he meant, he said, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. Then it says they were filled with anger. And they, 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 they see, people will flip on you quick. They'll, quit, they'll flip on you quick. One day... Like they did Paul, one day this man's a murderer, that's why that snake bit him, and next thing he don't die, and they, oh, he's a, he's a god. Boy, they'll flip on you quick. And they grabbed him and physically took Jesus, scapegoat, and they took him out to the brow of a cliff to throw him down. They didn't even realize that they were acting out this because it was on that feast that Jesus read that. He stood in on the temple on that day. Everything Jesus did was in congruence with these feet. And he read that. And that was his inaugural reading. Some people, his inaugural sermon was the Mount of Olives. I said it would be, I guess you could call it the inaugural teaching. But he read those scriptures, and that was his first, that was his first explosion to the people, I'm the Messiah. They knew him. That's why it made them so angry. We know his mother. They said there's not his mother and, father and, and brothers and sisters among us. Who does he think he is? 
calling himself that he's fulfilled. And so this, this man is blasphemed. He's worthy of death. And so they carry him out to him. And so you got hundreds of people dragging this dude, and they all focused on one guy named Jesus, and they're going to take him out to the brow of the cliff and do the scapegoat thing and throw him over. And then I love the next verse, and it says, and he passed through the midst of them. <laughs> I can't wait to check that DVD out, see how he pulled that off. If everybody focused on one dude, how you pass through the midst of them? I don't know how he did it, but he got away from all of them. And they didn't get to throw him down that day. What happened is they were two, two identical goats. And what we don't know is Barabbas, Bar, B-A-R means son, Rabbas, son of Rabbas. Barabbas, so Pilate comes out. He's tried to spare him, really, but he's so political, he's going to do what people want. He's scared of the Jews. He didn't want Caesar to get mad with him, have a riot in Jerusalem. He's supposed to be there in charge. So he brings out Jesus because they fooled him. He didn't think this was going to go down. And he brings out Barabbas. But this is a fact. And, and this is a fact. And Apostle will know, if you've studied, you would know this. But Barabbas was named Jesus. Is that right? So he brings Jesus and Jesus before the people, two identicals. And, and he's standing there, Pilate, and says, choose you this day. They're doing the scapegoat thing. They don't even know what they're doing. Pilate sure don't know what he's doing. And he says, choose you this day. Because he said, it is my tradition to, to release a prisoner to you, you know, and, and uh, to appease them, you know, the Jews. And so they got, he said, that's why he said, which of the, what, literally in the Greek, which of these Jesuses do you choose? Which Jesus do you choose? That's a good question for all of us. What Jesus do you choose? Do you choose a harsh Jesus or do you choose the Jesus of the Bible? You're going to be offered both. Choose wisely. So they said, give us Jesus. Because see, he, he literally said, which, which one of these Jesus do you choose? Do you choose this Jesus? Or, and that's why Pilate was specific. Or Jesus of Nazareth. Do you choose him? They said, give us Barabbas. What do I do with him? They said, away with him. Crucify him. Crucify him. So Barabbas was released. Jesus. This Jesus, the ribbon was put on, and he gave his life. That's what happened on that day. Tabernacles. Greatest feast of all. It means celebration, harvest, the feast of joy. Jews call it so many things. It is a party, sure enough. It occurs right on the hills. What's, what's the atonement about? This is where in the end of this thing, with my heart filled with hope, because they were atoning for Israel, but God has atoned for the world. And he's already done it. Tabernacles is a time of the kingdom. It's a time of the millennial reign, some would call it. It's the time of God's kingdom. It's where God says, I will tabernacle forever with you. We think we're going up there, but read Revelation, particularly the last two chapters. God said, I'm coming down here. John said, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down to earth from heaven. The Lord said, now I will tabernacle with you. I will be your God. I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eye. I'm going to live with you forever on this planet. I'm not going nowhere. I'm never going to forsake you, leave you. You ain't going to get cancer no more. You ain't going to have no more problem. I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to tabernacle with you. Paul said that our bodies is nothing more than a tabernacle tent. That's what it means. But he said that but, but God promised that he would tabernacle. And so that's why these feet, and, and it's just God's joy reminding you, no matter what, like what Pastor John said, this too shall pass, whatever you're going through. And you know what I have found out? It, it seems to be escalating. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting older and I can't take as much. But it seems like no matter who I talk to, the people are just dealing with all kind of stuff everywhere. Bless your hearts. We just all, I mean, you know, it just ain't easy. Life. God's not behind it, though. He's not, he's not the author of it. But he's sure helping us through it. Amen? I mean, he's helping us through it. And, and, and you have a God that you don't have to wait at tabernacles, but he's already tabernacled with you and in you. You have his witness of the Holy Spirit who resides in you. And this is what all of these do. Every one of these feasts, Jesus, 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 it's all Jesus. 
And that's why God wants you to be reminded that this is about my son. This is about Jesus. And these are the promises I've made to you. And I've done all these. And, and, and that's a fact. And that's history. And we know. And so that should fill your heart with such joy and expectation. Well, God did these four. Why would he? he I'm telling you, he is coming back. When's he coming? And so when, this is what I've done for years now. But when it gets these, these feasts come up, then I, in my heart, I always say this, just me and Papa, I say, and I see that feast day approaching. And it's 48-hour window in the Bible. I don't, you know, and, but I, I'm, not sitting, I'm not standing in the front yard with a suitcase or nothing. But when, that's, when I see it come in my heart, a lot of times in my prayer, and I see it approaching, then I begin to watch and do what the Scripture says. God, God don't expect you to watch 24-7, 365. You wouldn't get nothing done. How much work you get done when you know somebody's going to come to your house and arrive there any minute? You're just sitting there. That ain't pleasant. But if they say, I'm going to come on a certain certain day, you know, I ain't going to tell you what year, but I'm going to just tell them I'm going to come on that day. Well, you can be ready then. So I ain't trying to set, I ain't, trying, I ain't setting nothing. Just upsetting you because you're religious. But I'm just telling you, when I get that, I say, Lord, is this the year? Papa, you coming this year? Is this it? You going, is this it? I want you to know. Ready when you are. I'm ready. And I'll watch that calendar go, and I'll watch that day go away, and you know, two, three days gone. And, I say, and, I'm, and, and almost, every year it almost seems like there's a little, I'll just be honest, a little bit of sadness in my heart. I go, well, and it depends on how much trouble I'm having in the life. The more trouble I have, the more I want him to come, right? And it ain't like come because I love you, it's come because I need deliverance. Get me out of this pain. <laughs> These bills are killing me. Rapture me on out of <laughs> Whatever it is. You know that's the truth. Most people, they don't pray even so come quickly unless they're going through real tough times. And the more tough the times, the more you pray, oh, God, please come get us. <laughs> but if you're all happy and everybody good and everybody ain't fighting and you got a little money in the bank, you ain't talking about Lord coming. You're just like, you ain't even thinking about that. But this year, I've had some stuff. So, oh, Lord, you didn't come this year. It's okay. I know you're coming, though. I got your promise. I'll just be looking for you again next feast of trumpets. And until then, I'm going to occupy till you come. And you have already, and you will atone for all the trouble in this world. And, man, then we're going to throw some kind of party. It's going to last for a 1,000 years. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Stand with me. I hope this helped in some way. I want you to see Jesus in these feasts. Now you can talk to other Christians don't know what you're talking about. Feast? What are you talking about? Thanksgiving? What you... you can educate them. This is God's calendar. Now this is the end of the year of what God... Now God's calendar don't begin in January. Even the Jewish people have changed it from the religious calendar that, that is God's, invented them a civil calendar, and they call Rosh Hashanah uh, the head of the year, which they... they they changed everything. But God says the beginning of the year begins with Passover. It always has, always will. And that's just saying everything begins with Jesus. You, everything begins with him. This is a time of harvest. I pray, and I have prayed for you today, I pray that if you're struggling financially, that, that there will be a harvest of finances and a breakthrough in your life that, However God w would do that, I just pray that for you. Some people are so burdened and so many things and stuff costs so much. And it just, you know, sometimes we'll kind of say, you know, it, it costs too much to live in this world. And I see these elderly people in groceries and it, my, it breaks my heart. Uh, and sometimes I wonder how people even eat as much as stuff costs. Uh, go to the grocery store and, and I mean, me and Jill would live on $40 a week when we was first married. And, and eat, eat, eat pretty good, you know. And uh, now you can forget that. You don't even need the basket to get $40. You can just walk in there with your hand and get $40 worth. And uh, it's just, so it, I, I understand that. But I just, uh, just want to pray with you. And if you want personal prayer, we, we, man, I always believe in that. You, you're always welcome to come. And my elders, we'll pray with you. We love you. Uh, man, invite people to, to this church. We, we want people to know how good God is.
They sung about it today. God, open my eyes so we can see your goodness. Let us see how really good you are. And that's, that's the whole reason I'm up here, to try to be that witness for him. Amen? So, Father, I pray for these precious people. We, we've gathered to, together and we've acknowledged your timing, your calendar, your feast, your appointed times. We've gathered uh, your people even as a holy convocation for a specific reminder and a rehearsal of what's coming. Thank you that you've given us these, these prophetic uh, uh, feasts that, that we, can, we can see what you're up to and we can see what you've promised us that is yet to come. I pray, God, that in this time of harvest that they would harvest. I pray they would be blessed financially. And I pray that any kind of obstruction, if they're putting money in a bag with a hole in it and it's look like it's going through the bottom faster than it can get in the top, I pray, God, that you would bring healing, you'd bring deliverance, you would sew up that hole, Papa, and help them financially. Help the ministries that are represented here not to have to struggle. Help the homes and the families and the businesses and the business owners and the entrepreneurs that are yet to start their businesses. Let them have hope in this life and not be caught by all the stuff that the world says and the fear and all that stuff. That they have a God that indwells them and lives in them. God, I thank you you're still a miracle-working God. Just like you did on Pentecost, just like you've done, Lord God, you're, you're about resurrection and you're about life. And I pray that for the people. I pray they know that you have forgiven the world of sin and you really did take away the sin of the world. You was that scapegoat. You set us free and you took our place. And Lord, we, we murdered you. Man did. But Lord, you forgave. And I thank you for that. And I pray that you would help us to see and be witnesses of the love of God that's in Christ Jesus so that the world may know and that the world may see that we are your kids, that we have love for you and love for one another. In Jesus' name, God bless you guys. Hey, if you want personal prayer, I'll meet you down front. We love you. As I say, go and sin no more. <laughs>